Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 20 of Do Not Worry. I'm your host, Anthony, coming to you once again from the heart of Beirut in Jaitewe. Folks, this is episode 20. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. I'm wearing the same t-shirt I wore on episode one. Uh, it's been 20 weeks, guys. This is the 20th week that I've been doing this podcast. I have not skipped a week. I cannot believe that this is episode 20. We're going to have a nice, fun, spectacular bonanza today. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite uh, do not worry topics such as Tufiluk, aliens, Harambe. We're going to be talking about some cringe, some stuff on Twitter. I'm going to have a little bit of everything. Okay. Before we get started, guys, let me take a second to celebrate with a shot. Now, I'm not much of a drinker. All right. I very rarely drink. Uh, but I thought I'd have a shot with you guys to celebrate the 20th episode of Do Not Worry. Uh, funny enough, if you guys want to know who bought me this bottle of monkey shoulder this was a birthday gift two years ago from Muayn Jabir co-host of Saturday after dinner so it's only fair that I have his birthday gift since you know he's now part of the show's canon uh, and here's what I want you guys to do I want you guys to, to take a shot with me drink with your boy let's celebrate uh, once I reach out with my shot glass to cheers you guys I want you to pause the video I want you to hold your shot glass and take a picture and tag me on Instagram. Tag me while you take a shot with me. Let's drink together. If you don't drink, if, you, uh, if you're Muslim or if anything like that, uh, drink some juice. Pour some juice in a shot glass and let's do it. All right, folks. To 20 episodes of Do Not Worry. To 20 more episodes and from wine. Oh, very smooth. Oh. Oh, all right, yeah. I really don't like drinking. But I tried not to do many shots. If I drink a lot, I was thinking of maybe doing a drunk episode. But if I drink a lot, I'm not going to be able to fucking edit this video. So cheers. I hope you guys take a picture. Tag me on Instagram. Let's celebrate together. <sighs> okay. Uh, I also wanted to mention something. Last week, a couple of you guys, uh, the viewers, reached out to me to tell me that there were some pro-Israel ads that were playing during my episode. As you guys know, my YouTube channel is now monetized, so YouTube will put a few ads on there. Um, and I talked a little bit about what was happening in Palestine, the massacre of, Mal of, of Palestinian people, the illegal settlements, all of that. And YouTube saw it fit to put pro-Israeli advertisements in between my segments. So in case you guys saw that, I wanted to apologize. I have no control over those ads and I completely condemn them. And I'm going to, so one of you guys actually sent me an example of the ads that you got. So I'm going to play it just for you guys to see what kind of stuff they're playing. Folks, as usual, please take a second to leave a like, leave a comment. Your engagement, hashtag engagement, has done so much to help this channel. We're at 20 episodes. We're almost at 3,000 subscribers. I could not have been able to do this without you. Okay, this is a team effort, and you guys are at the heart of this whole thing. 
Uh, also, take a second to subscribe to the channel. Become a Do Not Warrior. I'm launching a second podcast at the end of June, start of July. So you guys are not going to want to miss that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm starting to feel the pressure of that second podcast. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of hard work. Folks, before we get going, I just wanted to take a second to again thank you guys and acknowledge the adventure we've been on. Like, how many enemies have we managed to make together in the last... 20 weeks, you know, from Tufiluk to all of Lebanese TikTok to Rina Rendur, Daddy Foodie, Karen Wazen, uh, Noor Arida, Pierre Rabat, the whole, the whole, the whole shebang, you know, Grand Factory. Everybody hates me. It's been fun. I'll do it all over again. You know what I mean? Have no regrets. Zero regrets. Uh, man, it's hard to believe. I'm already feeling that one shot. Can you believe it? I'm getting a little bit tipsy. Folks, we got a lot of topics to talk about today, so I'm going to stop wasting time. We're going to be talking about Harambe. The 28th of May, so tomorrow technically, marks the five-year anniversary of Harambe's death. We're going to talk about Harambe. We're going to remember that beautiful ape together. Tufi Luke is back in the news, but it's not for the reason you think. And am I going to defend Tufi Luke right now? Maybe, and that's going to be weird, but check it out. You don't want to miss it. Uh, aliens! You guys know how obsessed I am with aliens. The world of aliens and UFOs is going crazy. Okay, we're going to be getting some news, some very big news very soon. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's happening in the UFO world. This is episode 20, all right? I've got to talk about what I like. We're going to talk about the Powerpuff Girls pilot script that leaked. They're making a series about like the Powerpuff Girls as adults on the CW. The script for the pilot episode has leaked and it is horrendous. We're going to read some of it together. It is cringe as hell. We're also going to talk about Mark Ruffalo. Now, Mark Ruffalo has been one of the only actors in Hollywood to speak out against Israel and to call them out for what they really are, an apartheid state. He just took, he just walked back his comments and he put out a really cringy, shitty, pandery uh, apology on Twitter, which we're going to go over as well. I'm going to stop wasting any time. Let's go. Okay, guys, full disclosure, this segment right here, I just recorded on Thursday. I normally record everything on Wednesdays and I edit on Wednesday nights and Thursdays. I just noticed this tweet this morning while taking my morning poop. Okay, and I missed it and I wish I talked about it yesterday. So I decided to add this segment to the podcast. Any Stabit, our very own beloved Any Stabit shared this tweet yesterday. Vox Cinemas reopened today. Tickets will be 40K for standard screens and 55K for IMAX. Still waiting for the rest of the chains to announce something. Now, I wanted to talk about this because that's very interesting. As you guys know, I'm a big movie fan. I'm a big movie goer. I talk about movies quite a bunch on the show. I've had Anise on the show once and we talked about this very topic. So I wanted to share my opinion. Uh, 40 thou, you know, for standard tickets at Vox Cinemas and 55 thou for IMAX. 55,000 is the equivalent of like 38 or 39, you know, dollars um, at the 1500 rate. Uh, at the dollar rate, this is like, you know, three or four bucks. So it really depends. How affordable this is, is going to depend on you, the individual, and how much your salary is. You know, if, you're sal if you earn your salary at 1500 Lebanese Lira, probably going to be screwed. If you earn fresh dollars, nothing's changed. In fact, going to the movies has never been this cheap. If you earn in dollars or at, you know, 3,900, you're kind of stuck somewhere in the middle. So, uh, look, here's what I think. Running cinemas is extremely expensive. Movie theaters make most of their money on snacks. It's not even the tickets that make money. You got to pay staff. You got to power up the, the electricity. Every bulb that you need to buy to replace if one of the bulbs are fucked costs a fortune. Projectors cost a lot of money to fix and repair and maintain. It's an expensive endeavor. So if you want to run a movie theater and have it be profitable, you're going to have to raise your prices to 
better reflect the actuality of the situation we're living in. Does that mean a large chunk of the population is now going to be priced out of going to the movies? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, that is the case with a lot of different things. If you if you earn at fifteen hundred, if your salary hasn't changed within the last like year and a half, you can barely go shopping. You can barely buy anything at the supermarket. So, this is unfortunately not new for you. But yeah, this is essentially now making sure that movie theaters and the movie theater experience is reserved for those who can afford it. Is that unfortunate? Absolutely. Um, I'm not completely surprised uh, when I was talking about the Grand Factory situation. I was like, even if they do ever reopen, who's going to be able to afford going to Grand Factory? Who's going to be able to pay for that? Now, the difference is, obviously, and some people might be able to, well, Anthony, you were saying that people shouldn't go clubbing anymore because there's bigger things to worry about. I never said people shouldn't go clubbing. I just said it was weird to ask for money to fund a club when there's other things. If Vox Cinemas came out with a fucking fundraiser, like save Vox Cinemas, I would have fucking been like, fuck off, you know? Obviously not, but they're not doing that. They're just going to raise their prices in order to make sense for them to reopen. Um, it's unfortunate. I get it. I understand that the prices have to be this way. This is probably going to mean that a lot of people are going to go to the movie theaters less. You know, they're only going to go see the big Marvel movies, the big Star Wars stuff, which is kind of already how a lot of people go to the movies. Um, I'm happy that Vox is reopening. I'm happy that these employees are getting their jobs back. Uh, so definitely I'm happy to see that. It is unfortunate to know that a lot of people will not be able to afford going to the movies anymore. Uh, that is just the sad reality of the situation we live in. And I read in one of the comments that 4DX tickets are going to be 80,000. I couldn't verify that. The movie theater isn't even open for me to call them yet. But that would seem to make sense. But then again, not very many people watch movies in 4DX. You know, standard and IMAX are probably going to be the uh, the most common. I'm very curious to know what you guys think about these prices and does do these prices change? Uh, do you think they're going to change your movie going habits? I'm also curious to know if uh, other movie theater chains are going to open back up in Lebanon, like Grand Cinemas, Empire Cinemas, or for now it's just Vox. And uh, yeah, crazy times, but movie theaters are back open. At least, at least that's one positive. On May 28, 2016, Harambe, the most beautiful lowland gorilla on planet Earth, was murdered at the Cincinnati Zoo when a stupid little boy by the name of Isaiah Gregg jumped into Harambe's enclosure and led to the murder of Harambe because people were afraid for the little boy's life. Shortly after the murder of Harambe, he became an internet sensation, a global internet sensation, and a meme, immortalized forever on the World Wide Web. Folks, we're here to remember the gruesome murder of Harambe. He's become a hero, he's become an inspiration. And five years on, he still inspires millions, including myself. Now, the story of Harambe is pretty messed up. Like, this little annoying boy forces his way into Harambe's enclosure. Harambe tries to help the boy and is a better parent to the boy than both of his parents, who... What's their fucking names again? Michelle Gregg and Dion Dickerson. Those people are the worst fucking parents, and here's a photo of them. Fuck you guys. Anyways, it's their fault that Harambe's dead. Now, let's go. If you guys don't know the events, let's watch a video sort of, uh, you know, chronicling what happened to Harambe. Uh, by the way, uh, gorillas like Harambe, he's a silverback, lowland, western lowland gorilla. They can live to be up to 40 years old. He was murdered at the age of 17, the tender age of 17. Let's, let's just watch the videos. This, this stuff really enrages me. 
a day of panic and desperation at the Cincinnati Zoo. We're getting our second run to the Cincinnati Zoo, and this is in a gorilla cage, and a three-year-old child has fallen into the gorilla cage. A boy slips into the zoo's gorilla habitat and over a moat wall. Suddenly, Harambe, a 17-year-old, 400-pound gorilla, approaches the boy. His mother watches in horror at what happens next. Mommy's right here! Mommy's right here! No, Mommy, you weren't right here! Okay, Michelle? If you were right there, Harambe would still be alive with us today. Okay? Don't be saying Mommy's right here. Where the fuck were you when your boy was trying to get into the gorilla enclosure and get Harambe killed? Clearly, you weren't there, Michelle. The young boy screams. The urgent calls to 911 can be heard on this bystander video. The family tries desperately to keep him calm as Harambe takes him out of sight. Harambe drags the boy around the moat and up a ladder for a total of 10 minutes as the zoo's dangerous animal response team anxiously decides what to do next. The little boy himself had already been talking about wanting to go in, go in, get in the water. And his mother's like, no, you're not, no, you're not. I don't know if the screaming did it or too many people hanging on the edge, if he thought we were coming in. But then he, you know, pulled the boy down further away from the big group. Engine 32. Start the gorilla has the child and is dragging him around the pen. Officials considered the incident so threatening, deciding Harambe must be taken down immediately. Okay, so honestly, I get why people are scared. It's a 400 pound gorilla, little tiny kid. Any little accidental movement can murder and kill the shit out of this kid. But like, he's clearly not hurting him. If he was there for 10 minutes, just kind of holding on to him. In my opinion, he's trying to protect the kid. And Harambe is as confused and as afraid as anyone else because he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Good. Be calm. Be calm. Oh my god. There's this interesting video right here from the dodo that shows you some close-ups of how Harambe was handling the kid to show you that he wasn't really being violent. And this has been analyzed by a bunch of experts. I'm going to read their names to you once they show up. But they're saying Harambe did not attack the child. He pulled the child through the water of the moat, uh, held his hand, which is actually very adorable. He stood him up and examined his clothing. This is according to Ian Redmond, uh, founder of UNEP Great Ape Survival Project. So by all accounts, this is an expert. And in the wild, I'm certain the boy wouldn't have been killed. This is by uh, Gisela Kaplan, animal behavior expert, University of New England. Some people were saying that they should shoot a tranquilizer at Harambe, but experts were saying that that might have made things worse and it might have agitated him, leading to some violent actions. But what's interesting, uh, what's very interesting, is that this has happened before. There's two other video examples of kids falling into an enclosure full of apes and the apes protected and helped the children. So for everyone to assume that Harambe was going to hurt the kid, okay, even though he dragged the kid through the moat, it looked violent, but it, ne it wasn't necessarily violent. Here are some examples. Here, here's another example of, I think it's called J Jamba the Ape. Uh, a little boy fell into this enclosure. Check it out. Five-year-old Levin Merritt lay unconscious at the mercy of a 450-pound silverback gorilla. The crowd watched helplessly. 
Never before had such an accident occurred. And never before had this full-grown male gorilla encountered a human being within his domain. I think only the worst could be imagined. I think this happened in like the 80s or something. But what was to unfold this September afternoon would astonish the world. Look at that. He's he's protecting the kid. He's not letting the other apes get near the kid. That's so fucking adorable. Look at that, man. He's trying to wake up the kid or he's trying to see if the kid is okay, man. This is adorable. And it shows you how much we don't deserve animals. Animals are so much kinder and better than us. So the kid is waking up. Everyone's telling him not to move as to not scare the gorillas. He starts crying. Now you can hear the kid crying. Understandably, it's fucking horrifying. The gorillas get scared. Dude, that's so cute. But Yamba, the western lowland gorilla, shattered an age-old myth. Yamba. Prisoner in a world where man is king. He'd shown an astonishing sensitivity for human life. Levin Merritt was rushed to a hospital with only minor injuries. Okay, wasn't that adorable? And it happened again a few years later in 1996. Check this out. And another note in the news today. The nation's hairiest Good Samaritan is reaping the rewards of her good heart today. Lots of visitors and baskets of fruit from adoring fans, all for Binti Joie, who is the female gorilla who rescued a three-year-old boy who tumbled into her habitat at the Brookfield Zoo near Chicago on Friday. Binti first cradled the boy, who suffered bruises and abrasions, and then took him to a service door where zoo personnel could get to him. Zoo officials say Binti may have had a special affinity for the child because she had been abandoned by her mother and was raised by humans. The way Binti is literally cradling the baby. She's cradling the kid. This is, again, adorable. This is amazing. These animals are beautiful souls. We don't deserve animals. Humans are shit. We're garbage. Uh, here is a video of the man who raised Harambe since he was a little baby uh, talking about the tragedy. I raised Harambe from the day he was born. I, he, he lived with his mama for the first roughly 20, 21 days. That mother and father had to be petrified. They had to be scared to death. The public around them had to be mortified. Everybody was total loss because, my God, they didn't know who he was. This beast had this baby. He was in a situation where here's this strange thing here that I don't know what to do. What do I do? Do and, and do I fight it? Do I love it? Do I run from it? What do I do? It's true. Harambe was confused and he chose love. Harambe chose love. I choose to believe that Harambe was trying to help that boy. He was cradling the boy, not cradling, but he was holding the boy, making sure he didn't leave his sight. I really think he was being very paternal. And um, I don't know. Uh, so... Again, let's take another look at those parents who, whose negligence has led to the death of beautiful Harambe, Michelle and Dion. There they go again, okay? And here's another look at little Isaiah. Now look, obviously this is an adorable kid and I don't want anything to have happened to him. 
But like Harambe and like silverback gorillas are endangered and they're rare. Like kids aren't. Like it was gonna sound like an asshole, but maybe we should have you know saved the more rare animal rather than like a little boy. I mean, we're not even saying pick sides. Just wait it out. Let's just wait a little bit and see what Harambe would have done. You know, I don't think he would have hurt the kid. Let them hang out a little bit longer. I think it would have been fine. Uh. Thankfully, Harambe, the most beautiful Harambe, has been immortalized in memes. My One of my personal favorite memes is every time a celebrity dies, there's the come join us meme. And Harambe is right here at the center. Right here, beautiful Harambe at the center with Robin Williams next to, uh, you know, next to Kobe and all of that. My dream in life is if I die before my time, please Photoshop me onto that picture and put me right beside Harambe. I can't think of a better way to send me off than to put me on that meme right next to Harambe. Please, do, if, I, if I ever were to die early, I hope not, you know what to do. And Harambe, thank you so much for being you. Thank you so much for, for inspiring all of us. I think about you every day, Harambe, and we're going to keep thinking about you. And as always, folks... When you're alone and when there's not a lot of people around you, pull your dicks out for Harambe. Harambe. Folks, let's talk about aliens for a second. And I'm going to ramble because I don't know where the fuck to start and where to stop. And just let's start with this. I love UFOs. I've been obsessed with UFOs and aliens uh, since I was in college. I used to do a lot of research into that. I've, I've sunk so much hours and time into doing UFO research and trying to get to answers because it was something the government or no official entity was ever giving answers on, right? It was always this crazy conspiracy theory. Something crashed in Roswell in 1947. The government has been doing experiments and stuff. It's just crazy people talked about this stuff. Well, now, since 2017, since the New York Times released uh, three leaked UFO videos that have then been confirmed by the Pentagon in 2020. Okay, last year in 2020, the Pentagon confirmed three UFO videos that were taken by radar. Just a few weeks ago, they confirmed two more videos. One that shows a UFO going from the air into the water. So it's a transmedium object. And another video showing triangular UFOs floating over a ship that was shot in 2019. The Pentagon has also recently confirmed three photos that were taken by U.S. pilots. So the world of UFOs, the world of UAPs, as they're being called now, has been blowing up and exploding over the last few months. These are unprecedented times. If you're a fan of UFOs, if you're a fan of aliens, we've never seen a period like this. We've never seen a period where government officials are talking about this casually. There was... There was a report on 60 Minutes just a few weeks ago. It was a 15-minute report, and 60 Minutes is one of the most respected name in news. They talked about UFOs. CNN has been talking about UFOs nonstop. The New York Times, the New York Post, everyone is seemingly talking about the subject when just a few years ago, it was considered completely taboo. It was considered completely wacky and kooky. The media wouldn't touch the UFO subject with a 10-foot stick because of the stink that would come associated with that topic. But it's all changing, and it's all changing extremely fast, which is making some people uncomfortable. And there is now a rift 
in the UFO world. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And just to give you guys an example of how the conversation has changed just five months ago. Okay, five months ago, Obama was having an interview with Stephen Colbert and he was asked about UFOs. Look at how stern his answer was. Look at how quickly he cut Stephen Colbert off with his answer. But just five months later, okay, when James Corden asks him a very similar question, look at how much more open Obama is being about the subject. And that's only five months in between the two interviews. Let's just watch that really quickly. UFOs? Any UFOs? Did you ask about that? Certainly asked about it. And? Can't tell you. Sorry. Okay. See? Just can't tell you. That's it. Five months later. But what, what is true, uh, and I'm, I'm actually being serious here, is, is that uh, there are, uh, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain how they moved, their trajectory. Uh, they, they did not have an easily explainable pattern. People still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is. Uh, but I have nothing to report to you today. Okay, so and he makes a joke afterwards, like saying that Reggie Watts, the guy who asked him the question about UFOs, maybe he's an alien. So they're still joking around the topic. He doesn't take the question fully seriously. But you can clearly see a difference that five months made between how he was willing to answer the question then and how he's answering the question now. The U.S. government is suddenly being a lot more open on the subject of UFOs. Now, why is that? Does the government being that open with UFOs, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Well, for someone like me who's been obsessed with the topic for years and who's wanted some kind of official answer, it's great news. It's definitely great news. But here's the thing. I don't trust the government. Like, who? how can you trust the U.S. government? specifically when it comes to the topic of UFOs, when we know they've been lying about this for over 70 years. Like at this point, who doesn't believe that Roswell actually happened? And if you want some proof that Roswell actually happened, here's Lou Elizondo. Here, Lou Elizondo is basically a guy who was the head of the Pentagon's UFO research program from 2007 to 2012. And he left in 2017 because he was sick of all the secrecy and the bureaucracy and the red tape. So this guy knows more than anyone else in that field could possibly know. He's the guy. He's the guy who's been providing us with so much information. Him, Lou Elizondo, and Chris Mellon from the CIA have basically been doing all the work solo trying to uncover the truth about UFOs. So this guy who was at the Pentagon, who worked at the Pentagon, who was appointed by the Democratic majority, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid to investigate UFOs, listen what he has to say about Roswell, New Mexico. Okay, he's basically casually admitting that Roswell happened in an interview with a guy on YouTube. Check this out. A few hints before, uh, but Roswell may not have been the first event, um, and, and well known. I mean, there's been some 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 reporting internationally as well that there have been some some crashed vehicles, and they were uh, they were obtained by local authorities, and uh, there was some some scientific study done on them. I want to be very careful not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I've seen personally some documentation that's very compelling from a, from a particular foreign country. Um, okay. He goes on to say that uh, there was a crash in Italy a long time ago, even before Roswell, and some of those fragments were sent to the United States. Guys, this is Lou. Again, this is Lou Elizondo. He was the head of ATIP, the aerospace, what is it, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program at the Pentagon. Okay, so now you guys are wondering, well, Anthony, now that the Pentagon and the government is actually being a little bit open about this, why are you being 
Why are you upset? Why aren't people trusting the government now that this information is finally making it out there? Isn't that what you guys wanted? Yes, it's definitely, it definitely is what I wanted. But the problem is, the problem is, a section of the UFO community, let's say it's being led by Dr. Stephen Greer. And you guys might know Dr. Stephen Greer. He's the guy behind the documentary Unacknowledged, another documentary called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. He's also been a very reliable, generally reliable UFO researcher and expert and, and thought leader, expert, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, for decades. But he has this narrative going on that the, that the government is going to falsely disclose aliens. They're going to have this fake disclosure where they're going to paint aliens as or UFOs as a threat, basically as an excuse for the U.S. government to get more funding, to build more weaponry, anti-alien weaponry. And then they could start doing these covert operations, pretending that it's aliens when in fact the U.S. has had that technology forever. He's basically calling it like a false flag operation. This is the next big thing that they want the public to be afraid of. This is a national security imperative. We must have American dominance in space. But it's all a lie. Now, do I believe that the U.S. government actually has access to UFOs and UFO technology? I think so. I think that they've been able at this point, if they've had this technology for 70 years or over 70 years since they've crashed and they've been studying them, I think at this point they've been able to reverse engineer them or at least figure out how to fly the ones that are here, the ones that crashed. I think we know how to fly them. We may not have been able to build new ones from scratch, but I think the ones that crashed here, we might have been able to repair them. And I think we've been flying them around for years. So will the government ever admit that? I don't know. It's, it's, this whole alien disclosure thing is very weird. We are, it's, it, and I kind of liken it to what's happening in Lebanon. Weirdly enough, like in Lebanon, we're asking for our politicians to step down and to return all the money they stole. How the fuck is that going to happen? We're asking a bunch of criminals to basically admit that they're criminals and that they've been robbing us for decades. Well, in the UFO thing, people are hoping that the U.S. government that has been lying about the UFO topic for over seven years is suddenly going to admit that they've been lying do you think the government is suddenly going to admit that, yeah, the mother of all conspiracy theories, you know, the theory that the U.S. government has been hiding aliens and alien spaceships for decades is true. They're never going to admit that because if they admit that that is true, they've lost complete control of the narrative. No one will ever trust the U.S. government ever again when it comes to anything. People already don't trust the government. Can you imagine how little trust there's going to be when they're like, hey, by the way, we've been lying to you guys about aliens for 80 years. We've had their technology. We were flying them around. All these, like, no one's going to believe them. So the Pentagon is in this very tricky spot where they're like, we don't know what the fuck to do. Like Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon are putting us in a corner where they're kind of forcing us to talk about this topic. I think what Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon have done by painting UFOs as a potential threat, I think that's actually genius. And I don't think they're painting them as a potential threat to help the US government get more funding or to try and help the US government hide what they know about UFOs. I think they're painting UFOs as a potential threat because it's the only way they can exert some kind of pressure on the government to admit what's going on. Because by saying that these UFOs could be Chinese technology, by saying they could be Russian technology, or even maybe alien technology, and that they're flying in American airspace, uncontrolled, unannounced, they do whatever the fuck they want, unchecked, because if it is Chinese technology, and if it is Russian technology, the US military should be very afraid and concerned that their adversaries have leaped them in technology.
You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine if the Russians or the Chinese have, have made such an advancement in technology where they're flying stuff around that the U.S. military doesn't even understand and they think that they're aliens? So by putting the U.S. military and the U.S. government in a corner that's like, hey, there's all these threatening things flying around in our airspace. You guys aren't going to comment about it. He's kind of forcing the U.S. government to talk about it. Now, what I'm hoping happens is that Lou is going to keep pushing. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be satisfied with the U.S. government being like, yeah, there's UFOs, but we don't know what they are. I'm not going to be happy with that. We know they know more. And I, I don't think any of us want to let the U.S. government get away with a false flag operation or a false disclosure. Them saying, yeah, it could be aliens. We have no idea what it is, but we know that, in fact, they know a lot about what's going on and they might actually even have that technology already. As a lot of people believe, there's, there's even rumors that Lockheed Martin has fragments of crashed UFOs, that Lockheed Martin and other uh, U.S. aerospace companies like Northrop Grumman and shit, whatever the fuck they're called, are building their own UFOs and stuff. It's honestly very confusing. One of the reasons I got out of the whole UFO topic for a few years was because of how confusing it got and you never got clear answers. Be mindful of both narratives. I'm very happy that we're getting information out of the Pentagon. I'm very happy that we have people like Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon helping us get all this information that we've been wanting to get for decades. But I also am not just going to blindly trust the government because I'm finally getting some answers that I've wanted to get. Okay, I'm not going to let these few nuggets make me completely trust the government and what's happening. So everything they give us, every, every piece of, of information that they do confirm, we have to take with a grain of salt. And we have to keep pushing further. Get them to admit Roswell happened. Get them to admit those things officially. The question is, are we going to be able to trust them? Are we, is anyone going to believe anything that the government has to say? Now, we're almost in the month of June. Okay, in a few more days, the month of June officially kicks off. That is when the Pentagon's report on UFOs is due to Congress. It might come at any time in the month of June. Could be the start of June, could be the end of June. We've been told that it's going to be a disappointing report. It's not going to contain a lot of information. But it's going to be a start and we're going to know more about the subject in June and it's going to take years, man. But trust me, our lives are going to change. We're going to learn a lot of information that we never thought was possible. I think sooner rather than later, I think we will get some kind of disclosure eventually. I don't think that the government is going to do it willingly and I don't think they want to do it because that means they have to admit that they've been lying to us. I don't think they want to admit that they have this alien technology. I don't think they want to admit that they have these UFOs. We're not even going to get into abductions and stuff right now. It's so fucking crazy. June is going to be huge. We're going to be learning a lot of crazy information. And if you're, if you're a UFO guy or gal, uh, these are very fucking exciting times. And if you're not into UFOs, what are you waiting for? Shit is going to change and you want to be on the front lines when that shit happens. That's all I'm going to say. Does Tufiluk deserve to go to prison for disrespecting the Lebanese passport? Folks, let's, let's talk about Tufiluk. It's been a while. It's been a while. Tufiluk, for those who don't know, is one of Lebanon's like most renowned like bullies on social media. Kind of a kind of an infamous asshole. Uh, he found himself in some hot water lately for um, doing a TikTok with the Lebanese passport. Before, before we get into his TikTok and the controversy, let me just mention that Tufiluk steals a lot of things. Like he plagiarizes a lot. I know he's been accused of that before, but I've just been sent a couple of recent examples. Uh, here's a tweet by Grave Jones. He's a good person to follow on Twitter. Went pretty viral. Look at that tweet. Imagine Italians invading Lebanon and claiming that they're just returning to their homeland because there are Roman ruins in Baalbek. Uh, a few minutes or hours later, this appears on Tufiluk's stories. 
Imagine Italians invading Lebanon and claiming that they're just returning to their homeland because there are Roman ruins in Baalbek. Because the same thing is happening right now. So he basically stole this tweet, didn't give any credit. He could have just, just as easily screenshotted the tweet and put it on his stories. Obviously, he wouldn't do that because he is a sneaky little non-creative plagiarizer. Uh, he's also been talking a lot lately about how he loves Clubhouse and how he's on Clubhouse and he loves being on Clubhouse. Well, when you go to his bio on Clubhouse and you kind of scroll through at the bottom, it tells he's a self-thought cardiologist. I think he means self-taught cardiologist. Even that little clever joke isn't his. He stole that from a guy called Basil, who I follow on Twitter. Now, Basil is also a, he's a funny person to follow on Twitter. A few months ago, a tweet that involved him went very viral. Like he had on his bio for the longest time that he was a self-taught heart surgeon. And a few months ago, that went extremely viral with someone like screenshotted. It was like, what do you mean self-taught heart surgeon? Uh, it got 50,000 retweets, 435,000 likes, etc. Then when that went viral, if you write self-taught heart surgeon on like the Twitter search bar, you'll notice all of these accounts that like just added it to their bios. So like it's completely unoriginal at this point. Basil did it the first time. It was hilarious, went viral. Then all of these people copied it on their Twitters. And obviously, Tufiluk being the unoriginal little bastard that he is, copied it too. And he did it wrong. It's, self, it's self-taught cardiologist. If you're going to copy someone's shit, at least do it right, Tufiluk. I'm not trying to hate on Tufiluk. I just wanted to preface the whole thing by showing that he's not very original because even the thing he got in trouble for, which was doing this TikTok about the Lebanese passport, he's, he's not even the first guy to do it. Like it, This has been a viral trend in multiple countries. His just so happened to get attention because I think people really hate him. So let's watch his TikTok before we read some of the response to it. Okay, hilarious stuff to Filip. So anyways, this stupid TikTok led to some pretty serious controversy. So there's this lady called Kiki Samhan. I'm going to read in Arabic, folks, by the way. Get ready to enjoy. Adi? What? Anyway, she tags the Lebanese army, the Lebanese police, all of that shit because he made a fucking TikTok. Listen, y'all know how I feel about Tufiluk, okay? But y'all know how I feel about bootlickers even more. And Kiki Siman, you are a goddamn bootlicker tagging the military and the police to arrest Tufiluk at the airport because of a TikTok? Bitch, are you serious? What? There's some more. Now look at all these fucking boomers, and this is all boomers, by the way. This is a fucking boomer attack, okay? Responding to her tweet. And then she responds. Oh my God, Kiki, you're both, you're such bootlickers. You and Danny Antoon. More responses. Look at this guy. Alain Saliba. P 
Patriotism is a virtue saturated with integrity and dedication. This individual lacks both and must be stripped of his Lebanese citizenship. Kiki Saman the bootlicker responds, Hey, Dalilazim is more angry face. Oh my god, you guys are such cringe boomers. Anyways, another one. Here's Freddy. لازم الأمن العام يعملوا فيه مثل ما هو عمل بالباسبور يمسحوا الفيل الأرض الأزاز هاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاهاها
1,500 Palestinians face expulsion in Jerusalem. 200 protesters have been injured. Nine children have been killed. Sanctions on South Africa helped free its black people. It's time for sanctions on Israel to free Palestinians. Join the call. He tweets something similar on the 15th of May. Over 30 children killed. Mothers dead. Hundreds injured. We are on the brink of a full-scale war. Sanctions on South Africa helped free its black people. It's time for sanctions on Israel to free Palestinians. Join the call. Hashtag Gaza under attack. So Mark Ruffalo... By all means, being very vocal on social media, which is, you know, the only power most of us have, let's be real. But he's using his power and his platform very responsibly, made him a lot of allies. But over the last few days, he kind of started switching his tune, and a lot of his tweets were more focused on anti-Semitism and just like anti-Semitism comments. So here, he retweeted this tweet. I am a Muslim man who stands with our Jewish brothers and sisters, and I despise anti-Semitism. We've been here before. We know better. Stop the hatred. He also retweeted this post from the ADL. Breaking. U.S. anti-Semitic incidents remained at a historic high in 2020. Today, two years after the deadly shooting at uh, Shabbat of Poe, we release our 2020 audit of anti-Semitic incidents. 2020 was the third highest year on record. Here's another uh, tweet that he retweeted. I know it's frustrating to see newly mainstream descriptions of Palestinian reality being portrayed as responsible for acts of anti-Semitism, but I urge you all to focus on this truth. We Palestinians wholly reject anti-Semitism and it is not compatible with our liberation movement. Again, I don't disagree with any of this. I am completely against anti-Semitism. One of my best friends in the U.S. was Nathaniel Bresler, a Jewish person. His family, John Bresler, Mary Bresler, and his brother Ben Bresler. Some of the most amazing people I've ever met have nothing but love in my heart for the Jewish community, for Jewish people. Being against Israel and Zionism has nothing to do with being Jewish or anything like that. So they're really, these two things should not be connected. Unfortunately, it is, it is used in the States to shut people up and to sort of end the whole Israel debate. Uh, here's another uh, tweet that Mark Ruffalo quote tweeted. Uh, it, was, um, it was a video of apparently uh, Palestinians in Europe driving around in London saying some anti-Semitic things. Mark Ruffalo shares that and says, folks, this is no way to solve anything. It only leads to more extremism and makes it harder to bring forward peaceful, nonviolent solutions to the problems that face us. Again, I don't disagree with him, but over the past few days, he's mainly been focused on the anti-Semitism stuff, which just changes the narrative and it makes it seem like people who are against Israel are anti-Jewish and just all that bullshit. And finally, a couple days ago, he busted out the big whammy. It was clearly going in that direction, but he had to say it. And here it is. I have reflected and wanted to apologize for posts during the recent Israel-Hamas fighting that suggested Israel is committing genocide. It is not accurate, it's inflammatory, disrespectful, and is being used to justify anti-Semitism here and abroad. Now is the time to avoid hyperbole. I quote tweeted him and I said, Turns out the Hulk is a little bitch. But in all seriousness, uh, I think we all know that Mark Ruffalo was forced to make that statement either from his management, you know, his managers or, or his agents, maybe even from Disney. You know, he's part of a massive global franchise in the MCU. No one wants the Hulk to, to, to cause any problems, I guess. So this is clearly, this comes from pressure, you know, from high up to make that clarification. And it makes you think like if someone like Mark Ruffalo, he's the fucking Hulk in the MCU, you'd think his career would be untouchable. Think again. This just goes to show you how much power certain people have in Hollywood and they're willing to support these false narratives. And uh, we just, like we saw 
مارك رافلو اكل سحسوح قدامنا بيسكلي ذا هوليوود فيرجن اوف السحسوح whatever that whatever they want to call it but uh, yeah they shut him up they shut mark ruffalo up and it's sad to see you know i i wished he could be a little bit you have more of a backbone but the guy still wants to make money he's afraid for his career and um look i forgive him i we know why he's saying this it would have just been nice for him to stand his ground because everyone backs off eventually everyone who supports palestine eventually i feel like has to back off if they work in hollywood because they want to keep the money train rolling But uh, yeah, it was disappointing. I get it. Not surprised, but definitely disappointing to see. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that I was a huge Cartoon Network fan as a kid. I grew up on Cartoon Network, uh, whether it's Dexter's Lab, Courage the Cowardly Dog, I Am Weasel, uh, Johnny Bravo, Powerpuff Girls, all of that shit. I was a huge fan. Uh, it still has like a lot of nostalgic value for me. Uh, so I was definitely like a Cartoon Network kid and not a Nickelodeon kid growing up. So I love, I love all of those properties and Powerpuff Girls has always been one of my favorite cartoon series. I thought it was extremely funny. It was extremely creative. Uh, and a few months ago, I remember reading that they were going to make a live action Powerpuff Girls series following the girls as they were entering adulthood. Um, it wasn't really going to be connected to the cartoons, but like, I wasn't really sure. Anyways, I forgot about the series. I heard about it. It was, it was, they were going to make it for the CW. Completely forgot about it. Yesterday, as I was scrolling through Twitter, I see this tweet from this guy who's like, someone on Risa Terra leaked the script for that CW Powerpuff Girls pilot. Who boy. So I was like, wait, what? Holy shit. So I started reading. Uh, some of the script and holy shit the guy's right folks it is horrendous I downloaded the whole script and let me tell you who who wrote it Diablo Cody is actually one of the writers which is insane to think Diablo Cody wrote like what was it called Juno it was a very good movie so the pilot was written by Diablo Cody and Heather Regnier the tweet was actually taken down because uh, of a DMCA notice which suggests that this was actually the real script so the fact that the tweet was taken down it does suggest that it's real let's read part of that script because it is honestly incredibly horrendous and very very cringe and they're trying so hard to make this adult and sexy and it's it's fucking horrible let's just read some of this so bubbles blossom's fine i saw her on insta that she has a boyfriend i saw on her linkedin that she got promoted and i saw on facebook that she still talks to grandpa despite their political differences buttercup Coming back here is probably triggering for her. Bubbles. Why? Because she's the one who killed Mojo. I mean, moveon.org. Oh my God, what the fuck is that? Okay, that's just that's just a little taste, folks. Here's more. Bubbles. Look, we loved being Powerpuff Girls, but sometimes we wanted to be other things too. Like in Dirty Dancing, Baby wanted to join the Peace Corps, but she also wanted to be a fancy slut, and her dad didn't get it. Uh, here's another one. Buttercup. I'm not wearing that dress anymore. It's compulsory heterosexuality. Blossom. Take it up with dad. Uh, here's another one. Butch. Last time I saw you, you broke off our engagement and told me you'd pawn the ring off for drugs. Bubbles. Was that you? Blossom's out cold. Bubbles and Buttercup hover over her. Buttercup. Bloss, wake up or we'll leak your nudes everywhere. Off Bubbles confusion. That worked on you once. Uh, there's a bunch of things with Jojo. Uh, he's not a monkey in this one. So, Jojo. I've delivered on everything I promised, except free gelato Fridays, and that's only because the perfect scoop turned out to be a front for meth trafficking. Here's another one. Bubbles. 
Oh, duels for me, please. Thank you. Butch leaves to grab them drinks. Buttercup makes eyes with a hot girl across the bar. Macy, Blossom. Aren't we here to investigate? Buttercup. I'm here to pick up by curious townies. You're here to avoid Drake. Bubbles is here to investigate, but she forgot Butch hates her. Luckily, we're dealing with another hate boner, so alcohol helps. Blossom, why do you know so much about hate boners? Buttercup, life is one big hate boner. What the fuck is a hate boner? I've never even heard the term hate boner. Like, they're trying so hard. This is so cringe. This is such bad dialogue. This is what, like, fucking 80-year-olds think 12-year-olds talk like. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't what we talk like. No one says hate boner. And I'm not a Gen Z, but like, I'm pretty sure Gen Z never used the term hate boner. Interior Powerpuff Girls home, hallway, Buttercup's room, day. Blossom heads upstairs where the bumping sound continues from Buttercup's room, then abruptly stops. Blossom opens the door and finds Buttercup in bed with Macy, the woman she eyed at the bar the night before. They've just finished. Blossom, oh God, I'm sorry. Buttercup, it's fine, to Macy. We're done, right, Macy? I'd say six times is enough. Ooh, Ooh lesbian, lesbian sex, sex and Powerpuff, and Powerpuff Girls. Girls. So, so hot, hot dairy. Uh, there's also a Harambe joke, which I'm not going to read because we talked about Harambe and I'm not going to disrespect his legacy on this podcast. But this is horrible. But funny enough, funny enough, news came out that they are actually reworking the entire pilot. They're going to reshoot the entire pilot. I think they actually shot this. Isn't that fucking hilarious? Like, I want this pilot. If they did shoot it, I want it to leak. I want to see the original cut of this pilot. It is so bad. But it might actually be good because of how bad it is. You know what I mean? But they're completely rewriting this. They are reshooting this. The fact that this leaked is actually probably great for the project because now they're embarrassed and they're hopefully going to make sure that this doesn't fucking happen again. But I don't know, like what a horribly badly thought out project. And the guy who actually leaked or who shared this on Twitter made a very good point. He says, look, I'm not saying you can't radically reinvent an existing IP, take some risks, do something new, etc." I completely agree. But seriously, who thought anyone wanted to see the Powerpuff Girls, but they fuck? And he's right. That is essentially all they've done. They took the Powerpuff Girls, they sexualized them a whole bunch, made them talk about sex and drugs, and like that's supposed to make them like adults, and that's supposed to make us as like young adults or you know adults and millennials connect with them more. I don't think though this is very shallow. This was such a very shallow vision for what the show could be, very misguided. I really hope they turn this around because, look, I, I like the Powerpuff Girls. I think it's a great cartoon. Obviously, like, I don't care about the legacy of the show. They're not going to ruin my life if they make a shitty Powerpuff Girls show. But, like, hey, might as well. If you're going to do this and you're going to do it, do it well so that we may, might be able to get other shows that we loved from our childhoods turn into these shows that maybe could be fun. You know, they could be revived or something like that. So, I don't know. It was just very... And I'm just surprised that Diablo Cody could write something so fucking shitty. We're not done yet, folks. We're not done yet. I told you episode 20 is going to be a big bonanza. I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about this because the person involved is a very sweet lady. Her name is Alexandra El Zahran, known as Polexandra on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, I know her tangentially. We've never met in person, but we've spoken on Instagram. She's very sweet. She's reached out to me a couple of times. She's, she seems like the nicest person ever. She was huge. Her account like blew up during the Thoda. She was a great source of information. Uh... A lot of people have a problem with her with her Instagram account. Uh, I, I don't really follow much anymore to know what she's up to, but she's a life coach. Seems like a very sweet lady. Okay, nothing against her, but she put out a tweet and then she also posted it on Instagram and it was incredibly cringe that I kind of had to talk about it to just warn people maybe not to share things like this because of how cringy and how 
I don't know. So she wrote, A German girl told me I am addicted to Beirut. My friend asked her why. She said, because this is the place where I feel alive. And, uh, like, look. Let's read, before I get into it, let me read some of the responses on Twitter. Uh, and then everyone clapped. This person said, interesting how Lebanese people feel dead there, though. Don't you think? Someone else says, um, this other, there's just a picture of Britney Spears kind of looking at her like, really? Really? Someone said that? Someone else says, white person living in third world country feels alive while getting paid $5,000 a month in fresh dollars with a white passport capable of escaping back to her first world country at any time. Extremely accurate. Very accurate. Another funny tweet. On today's episode of Things That Never Happened. Um, um, so, listen. I don't want to harp on this too long and I don't want to linger on this too much. Obviously, a German girl who has access to fresh fucking euros okay, is going to feel alive and happy here in Lebanon. It is kind of shallow and like silly and cringe to share a tweet like this when you know most of your followers don't agree. You know what I mean? Like the only people who are going to agree with this are like boomers who live abroad, I feel like. Lebanese boomers who've been away from Lebanon for 30 years. Like, yeah, ya Allah, I love Lebanon. Like this is... Like, we're all here irfanin, مش عارفين كيف بدنا نفل to tweet something like that because this is the place where I feel alive. Like, yeah, when I went to Colombia three years ago with my friends, we felt very fucking alive. But you know what? Colombians there weren't. You know? They make no fucking money. They're poor. We take advantage of their country. We're that country now. Let's not be... And let's not perpetuate the idea of like the, the tourist that shows up to a shitty country. is like, wow, this is such a lovely land. You're like, fuck, fuck off, bro. Not you, Polexandra, but like the, your German friend, okay? I don't need to hear how much you love our shitty third world country, Mr. Rich, fresh dollar person, okay? No one, no, no one wants to hear it. These tweets are cringe. With all due respect, please try to avoid those tweets. I had to mention it. I'm sorry. It's too cringe! Thank you so much for joining me for episode 20 of Do Not Worry. I can Again, I cannot believe that we made it to 20 episodes. This, this was a long episode. I had to use a second battery for my camera. So just a little behind the scenes, I had to switch up the batteries because the first one died. This took a while to film. I talked about a lot of stuff. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for being part of the family. Thank you so much for being brave and loyal Do Not Warriors. We're almost at 3,000 subscribers. Please take a second to like this video, leave a comment. All of your engagement has helped me so much. Let's get this video in the recommended page. Let's get it suggested to a bunch of people who don't know my channel. Thank you guys again so much. Please subscribe to the channel. Become a Do Not Warrior if you are not yet. Help me get to the 3,000 subscriber mark and get ready for the brand new podcast that I'm going to be launching at the end of June, start of July with my amazing co-host. It's going to be a lot of fun. You do not want to miss any of the action. This has been such a fun adventure. Uh, this show has allowed me to discover so much about myself, rediscover my passions in so many different avenues, whether it's creating videos, aliens, all that sort of thing. Um... This is changing my life for the better. And thank you for coming on this journey with me. Um, I really appreciate it. You guys have no idea. And I can't put into words how much I appreciate your time and your support. Like the fact that you guys are giving me 30 to 40 minutes of your time every week is pretty dang incredible. So thank you so much. Uh, and as usual, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry.